Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies, and today my guest is Jeremy Payan Berlin, and we're going to be talking about his documentary entitled Failure to Protect. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. This documentary is very different than anything else I've seen in the respect that it's a subject that I've not heard much about, and you actually, you directed it, you produced it, and you edited it. What attracted you to this subject? Well, I've been actually in involved in this subject most of my life. My mom actually runs one of the oldest uh, nonprofits in this country called Parents Anonymous. And essentially the organization, what it does is it helps families and especially parents who get wrapped up in the child welfare system. And it helps them sort of navigate the process because most people really don't understand the child welfare system unless they've had contact with it. The goal of the organization is essentially to help parents navigate the system and to try to get their kids back and sort of fix the issue at hand or just navigate, you know, dealing with their social workers, dealing with the judges. And so it's something I've sort of been exposed to my whole life, you know, kind of volunteering and and working for in the summers and stuff like that. But one time I was at Parents Anonymous and I was doing a video for my mom's company and I was just interviewing parents and having them just tell me their story of how did you get here? You know, how did you lose your kids? And every parent was essentially just telling me the same story, the same injustices, the same civil rights abuses. And it was just the names were different, the faces were different, but essentially one after the other, it was the same exact story. And I kind of walked out of the office that day and I just had like an epiphany that, you know, I wanted to tell this story of what does it take? Once you've lost your kids to the system, what does it take to get your kids back? How do you prove you're not this monster that the system is paying you as? And so that was the impetus for the film. And that's kind of how I went on my journey to making it. So the audience knows, why don't you tell them a little bit about failure to protect what it's it's about? Well, the film is about three sets of parents who have all lost their kids. Their kids are all in foster care. And it's about going on a journey with these three sets of parents, five parents in total, to what does it take to get your kids back? So you see these parents go to court, meet with advocates, meet with their social workers, have visits with their kids. But at the same time, that's intermixed with professionals, judges, attorneys, social workers, child welfare advocates to explain the system of how it works. So it's really a juxtaposition of how the system is supposed to work. And then what are the realities on the ground for these families in day to day? Because there's a real dissidence between what's supposed to happen and what's actually happening. So it was important for me to to have that emotional side of it to connect with these families to to feel their problems but also understand like the greater context for what these problems are so the audience could really understand it and so that was really key in the film and at the end of the film you know some of their some get their kids back and some don't so that's essentially it in the nutshell how did you choose the subjects in this film, the three families? I chose them. It, you know, it's, it's it takes a lot of bravery, first of all, for families to step up and to open themselves up to, you know, being interviewed on camera, especially while they're in the process of trying to get their kids back because there's a lot of stress, right? A lot of pressure. Um, a lot of people just don't even want to talk to you because they're just so scared, you know, about what might happen or what repercussions might happen. So I met Rosa, one of the parents, through an actual Parents Anonymous meeting, and I just found her to be very interesting. 
interesting and heartbreaking as well, her story. And I reached out on different forms and there's other parents who I interviewed, tested it out. They didn't work out. So it was kind of a combination of I wanted the families to each be unique in their issues, but also have kind of common threads. So it was a balance of trying to convince people that what my objectives were and that going in it in an honest, open place, but also trying to find the right type of families and have like nice diversity within the three families I chose. How did they feel about being filmed and having their stories shared? I mean, I think they're happy. I think they wanted it because the thing is, the system really puts down parents and it really doesn't give them a voice. And that was why it was really key for me to tell this film from the parents' perspective. It's not like, not that the kids don't matter. It's not that the other people don't matter in it. It's just that their voices are heard and parents' voices in this system are squashed and put aside and not listened to. So that was really the key for me is to tell it from the parents' perspective so that their voices could be heard. So the parents were quite happy. I mean, it's a process. You know, you got to build trust with people. You got to talk to them a lot. You got to break bread with them. And then you just record it. And uh, people, you know, will forget the cameras on. But I think they were happy about it because they wanted their voices heard. They wanted someone to listen to them, especially in a time when they felt like no one was listening to them. It's such an, I mean, we hear so much about children, obviously, being taken away from their parents because they've been abused, etc. But we don't hear much about the other side of Mm -hmm. the story. And that's why this is so important to have people discover and hear more about it because we have these preconceived notions about the parents. And it's interesting, the couple, now you're going to have to tell me everybody's names, but... Uh, Which couple? Is the lesbian couple, Anna and Retta? No, the, the white couple. Yeah, Christian Ernst. And actually, if you don't mind, can I say one point to what you just said? Because I think that's really important. Like all the news media that you've heard in the LA Times or any other documentaries that have ever been made, they're all essentially the same story you hear. It's all parents, horrible abuse, social workers should have stepped in sooner and did not step in soon enough, right? right? And that's essentially the only story you'll ever hear when you hear about child welfare. And I think the reason why you hear that is that's more salacious, that's more, you know, enticing. But the truth is those cases do exist, but those aren't, those are like the minority of the cases that exist. The majority of the cases that exist are low income, black and brown families who have no resources, who have made some sort of mistake, but what they need is they need help. They need resources. They need, you know, mental health. They need classes. What they don't need is their kids being stripped away from them, cause them a bunch of trauma. And then maybe one to two years later down the line, you get your kids back. So that was why it was important to tell more of the nuanced real stories that are happening day to day with people that I felt was really important for the story to be told. I agree. Definitely agree. And you make that point in the film. There were so many things that were surprising that the social workers didn't think it was a bad thing to lie. (laughs) You know? Let's talk about that. I mean, that was kind of, that was shocking. And not to throw any, you know, the social workers under the bus or anything like that, but it seems to be rather prevalent. Yeah, I mean, you know, the abuses that you find within the social work community is very like analogous to law enforcement, right? And the reason why the film is called Failure to Protect is because it's a clause in the child welfare system code where essentially is if a parent fails to protect their child, then you can remove that child. Well, that's kind of a very vague, broad term, right? right? And that gives social workers a lot of flexibility to remove a child. It's almost like I always compare it to resisting arrest from police. That charge can get slapped on any 
anybody just from moving their shoulder, right? Or something like that. So it's the same thing with the failure protect term is it gives them too much power and their stick isn't a gun. Their stick is the ability to take your kids back and to hold that over for you, unfortunately. And unfortunately, sometimes kids will say things and they might not always be true. Doesn't mean we shouldn't listen to them, but it, what, what this film was talking about is we need to listen to everybody in the situation. We need to gather all the facts and make the most intelligent decision possible. So I think that's really key in the process and the social workers, unfortunately, sometimes don't really listen to the parents and they can be kind of combative towards them. And oftentimes the social worker that comes to your door and removes your child and, you know, guess what? You're not going to be very nice to that social worker. I don't know any parent in this world who would be nice to that social worker. Remember, that social worker comes to your door and removes your child. That's the one who's going to be handling your case for the next year, two years. And so all those horrible things you said to them, they're a person too. They remember that. And so unfortunately, that can get taken out on you. And the sad part about the system is the best odds of you getting your kids back quickly and effectively is whether your social worker likes you or not. And that is not how this system is supposed to work, but that's how it works. Right. You know, and how how they view where you live and how you live, uh, which you yeah. you know presented also in the film. So, you know, if your house is in dis- disarray or just a lot of the things that, you know, when you don't have money, it's just, you know, it's just pile, yeah, exactly. people pile on you, I think, you know, and, and it's unfortunate and because countries getting poorer as we go forward, it seems like, and nobody seems to be able to get out of the hole, you know, and what we, what you brought up in the film is the amount of money that we spend to keep these children in foster care. And yeah. if we, and I think this is what you said in the film is that if we put that money towards the parents and help them, whatever ways they need to be helped, if they need to feed their children or get better housing or get sure. the help they need, that's where the money should go to. Because I don't think, yes, are there people that are bad parents? Are there people, you know, who do terrible things to their children? Of course, we don't, we do know that. But as you said, it's a smaller percentage than we think. And these other parents who, I mean, poor Rosa, I mean, she had no idea. And that's what you hear a lot. A lot. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, the, the money is such a key factor in this system because how the money flows is is how the system operates. If this $10 billion annually that we spend in the United States on the child welfare system, if that was spent to help families, to help kids, to help parents in tough situations, you, you would see a completely different system. But unfortunately, this money is spent once you're already in the system. So you're incentivizing these child welfare agencies in counties and states across the country to take more children away because the fact is if you cut their population in half this year they would get half the budget next year and so that's the issue is that they're incentivized financially to take kids they're not incentivized financially to help families so that's like the real meat of it right there it's just so absurd i mean it boggles your brain right and so everything's always about money (laughs) no matter even in the (laughs) child welfare system it's about money follow the money. It's so sad and debilitating. These stories were heartbreaking. They really were heartbreaking. You know, so let's talk about each one a little bit. Let's t- you started you, you brought up Rosa. Let's talk about Rosa. I'd like to I'd like the audience to know a little bit about each one of, of these families and their situation and what happened and what transpired for them. Yeah, so Rosa, she's a mother of six, a Latina, single mom. At the time, she had a live-in boyfriend and Martine, and Martine was sexually abusing one of her daughters 
daughters, or two of her daughters, actually, at the time. Unfortunately, she had no idea it was happening. Now, there's obviously, people will hear that, and automatically, people cast judgment, right, on someone. They hear that. How could you not know? How could you not know this? And then, what happens to a lot of these parents is they don't want to believe it's true. Initial reaction, people don't understand this. The first reaction is denial, because you're in denial that you could have let this slip. So it's hard for you to even process the information as true. So she was charged with failure to protect. All her kids were removed from the home, um, put in foster care. And it took her about uh, a year to go through that process. Um, but she, you know, she's very lo- on the low income side, uh, struggling to make ends meet throughout the film the process of the film, then we were filming with her for about two years. She had had to move about three to four times. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was obviously a devastating story. Um, and then we have Anna and Retta, um, a biracial lesbian couple. One's African-American, one's Latina. Um, Anna, actually her daughter was murdered and she adopted her grandson, Najee. And her and Retta were co-parenting together uh and he ran away one day and uh told the neighbor that his moms were beating him um and you know so he was removed from the home um and that was about a three-year process on on that litigation um but they you know vehemently denied the allegations and he admitted later that he had lied um, but unfortunately, with these situations, sort of once the cat's out of the bag, it doesn't really matter what ha- happens after that. Or, you know, they could find out the information to be false. Right. But once they've started it, they're not going to release it. Even if they realize their information was incorrect or that this person had lied, you think immediately, oh, send the kid home. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh. Once the wheels of this justice system, this juvenile dependency justice system, which is very different from criminal or civil, uh, start going, you are going to be stuck in that. And I would say it's at a minimum a year. At the minimum a year, your kids will be in the system. And that's going to be quick. Um, so, and then our third family is uh, Trish and Ernst. Uh, they had three kids. and One was special needs, Connor, who is nonverbal so it was even harder on him but their second eldest daughter had claimed that the mother physically abused him and that the father sexually abused him uh, or her excuse me and uh, so all three kids were removed uh, from the home and you know they you know they denied it and the social workers had ignored the psychological reports uh, the reports from special investigators you know when you have sexual abuse you can't have a normal social worker interview a child about it. You have you have to have an expert come in and interview them who's especially trained in these things to understand that. Now, you know, we know with sexual abuse, what is it, like 2 to 9% of the time it's incorrect. Essentially 90% of the time who's ever claiming it, it's correct. But, you know, you just have to take all those things into account and really try to, you know, do what's best for that family, but not, you know, hide information because you don't want that piece of information out there. You got to take in everything and try to make the best decision you can. Did, do they, I mean, there's ways of finding out, obviously, if somebody has been sexually abused, that didn't come up in this film, but did, 
I mean, I would think that that would be something they would go do is to check and see whether it's, you know, they did check. They did check and see. And that was an it it was a no, it was a no. It was a no. Okay. Uh, Oh, maybe I missed that part then. (laughs) That wasn't in there because that was that was even more nuancey. All right. So I didn't miss it then. Uh, you know, and yet that put a great deal of strain on this couple's marriage, um, because this is what was shocking to me. It was like a quid pro quo. If you admit that you did this, we'll give you back your son. You know, admit that you, that, that, you know, to something that you did not do, which is on your record, uh, and, and you lie. You know, basically lie and say you did it. Then we'll give you your son. That was uh, beyond deplorable. <laughs> Go ahead. They will dangle that carrot in front of you, and they will say, "Just, just, just sign this paper." You know, and that's a really hard decision to make. You know, and I get Trisha's opinion of like, let's just end this process. Let's just end it. You know what I mean? And then where the father Ernst is like, "Well, I don't want to admit to something I didn't do," and so you wear parents down, you wear them down, mm-hmm. and you just have to succumb because the truth of the matter is, when you fight in this system as a parent, you lose. That's it. There's no winning. So, like, that's why Rosa got her kids back sooner because she succumbed to it. You know. And the parents that fought, like Anna and Trish and Ernst and, um, and Retta, or, or vice versa, um, you know, they had a much harder time because they fought. They pushed back on that narrative. And when you fight the system, it, it's much stronger than one family. So, um, unfortunately, they will do that. And I asked the judges, I asked one judge, I don't know, it might have been off camera, but I asked him, I was like, these deals that these social workers dangle out in front of parents, you know, saying, if you just admit to it, then we'll give you your kids back. Well, number one, that means they believe that the kid's safe enough to go home with you. Right, right. right. So whether they sign it or not, the social worker is already telling you they believe the kid's safe enough. But th- those deals, the judges aren't privy to. So those mm. are the deals you do outside the courtroom, right? And then you go, and then they then they just hear that. So the judge is only hearing one slice of the story. He's not hearing that they already said your kid could go home six months ago. So what are we even talking about here? You know. But I think that's a way that the system covers it. But you know what I mean? Oh, they signed this, so then we weren't wrong. We didn't do anything wrong. It was them. Mm. So it's it's kind of just covering your butt kind of stuff. See, the judges don't hear about these deals that the social workers are trying no. to do. That's do even more deals. amazing. Why? You know, why aren't they hearing about these things? It's a good question. I mean, they should. They should be privy to all of that, right. um, unfortunately, you know. Or, you know, I asked uh, another judge about, like, weighing, you know, like, do you guys weigh the negative effects of foster care versus, you know, an imperfect home? Because, you know, no one's perfect. No parents are perfect. Right. No home is perfect. Right. But the system is there to prevent abuse and neglect. That's what it's there for. You know what I mean? And if that's not happening, these imperfect things aren't, isn't why we spend all this money on this system. And they said, no, we don't weigh the negative effects of foster care, you know, because once you enter foster care, your likelihood of going to jail, getting addicted to drugs, you know, getting into prostitution, all these things skyrocket once you enter foster care. So the the statistics of kids in foster care are very abysmal. I don't know what they are, but they are 
depressingly abysmal. <laughs> so yeah, and then you hear about the you know the foster care parents are the ones who are abusing the children. You know, it's like going. I mean, poor Connor. I mean, how many homes was he? And here's this. You know, disabled, disabled, you know, mentally disabled um, child who can't speak. And he was like, what, four different foster homes in two years or something like that? And he can't express his wants and needs, too. So, but, you know, unfortunately, even if you can, that doesn't mean that's going to change your situation. But his was even harder because he couldn't express that. It was heartbreaking and heartbreaking. And then when he finally did go back with his his father picking him up and how he held him and hugged him and, you know, and how happy he was to be finally back home. But unfortunately, uh, tragically, and I, I'm not get, hopefully I'm not giving any away, you know, it affected their marriage. And, yeah. um, you know, and that's hard. I mean, I can't imagine that stress on a couple. Yeah, well, because you have the stress of just your normal life, right? Making ends meet, you know, work, life you know, friendship, family, and you add this huge stressor on it. I mean, it destroys families. And oftentimes the issue is you go through this whole traumatic experience, right? And you get your kids back. Well, then it's going to take you three, four, five years to undo, to work through that, that trauma that you've now gone through because the system perpetrates trauma against kids. Yet fact, kids go through trauma within their families, but once they enter the system, They'll go through more trauma. And then if you get them back, then you got to deal with that trauma on top of that one. So uh, it's unfortunately not a good cycle. It's Um, not a good cycle. And you wonder about these children who pop, you know, I don't know, they're lying for whatever reason. And, and, you know, that's kind of highlighted there, too. You know, some, you know, if you don't like your parents when you're a teenager, who does, right? (laughs) You know, generally speaking, you know, if I could have new parents, you know, we might have, you know, traded them in. But that doesn't mean that this is a good way to do it. And I wonder if those children regret once they're in the system. But it didn't seem like that for some of them, which was I mean, some of them, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. I think, um, I think a, you know, one of my best friends growing up was a foster care kid. Um, And, you know, he, uh, he left at 17 and just emancipated himself because he didn't like it. You know, so I think I think it really just depends. Like nothing's all black and white. Nothing's right. all like these right. people are bad right. and these people are good and, right. and these are the lines. It's nothing's like that. Um every situation is unique to itself and um every perspective is unique. So that's what the that's what needs to be more dealt with is more care with these right. things and more like, you know, specificity uh with who you're matching with and 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 trying to figure out the right situation or yeah. you know the the simple thing what it used to be was just they go love they go live with grandma and grandpa right but now the system has made that immensely difficult yeah. when that used to be very simple um and now that that's you know that's very difficult yeah. to even do well jeremy where can people see failure to protect uh, well, it will be available on Amazon and on-demand platforms on October 17th. Uh, you can rent or purchase it. Um, so it will be digitally available and be coming to more platforms later down the line. But um, it will be available on those. So uh, please check it out. Yes, it's a, it's a very impactful uh, documentary and one I think everybody should see because it definitely opens your eyes to... Once again, the system So, and how we can protect our children. So thank you, Jeremy, for being on the show. And thank you for doing this wonderful documentary. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. Okay, you too. 
To all my wonderful, loyal listeners, your love of film allows me to do what I do. If you want to support me, the best way to do that is to hit the subscribe button on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And of course, on YouTube. Subscribing matters. If you are feeling really compelled, I want to hear from you. Have a burning question, comment, or review? Drop me an email at thejampriceshow.com. Thank you for listening. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies.